I'm really pumped this morning uh, because we get a chance to hear from a very godly man and a very good friend. Will you guys help me welcome Darren Jones this morning? So... Darren is uh, picking up where I left off in our, uh, our series on Ephesians. We're going to the book of Ephesians. In fact, you can grab your Bibles, get ready to go there. We're going to be reading that together. Darren is an incredibly good friend and has been an incredible uh, um, breath of fresh air to, to me, and, and he and his wife, Julie, have been incredible friends to us, but, but maybe more than anything beyond that, he's got 30 years of vocational ministry giving his life away. Uh, uh, in pastoral ministry and then to the nations in France and Morocco. They've been all over the place planting churches and declaring the goodness of God all over the earth. So I'm thankful for the testimony of his life. I'm thankful for the truth that he has this morning. I already got to hear him from our first service, and this is such a powerful word. So uh, I'm actually going to pray over him, and then I'm going to let Darren run. So Father, thank you for this man. Thank you for your truth going forward. I thank you for your word. Uh, Your word is life to us. And I pray that through Darren, you would impart your truth and life to us, that we'd receive it. And I pray to God, not one of us would leave here without being transformed and changed in a new way, fresh way. God, do your work, have your way in us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning, New River. That was not bad. Let's wake up just a little bit. Let's let everybody online know you're here. Good morning, New River. There we go. I don't know who all is online, but welcome to everybody online as well. I'm pretty sure my parents are out there listening, so mom and dad. I don't know who else is out there. The whole online thing is uh, is a little weird just to know where people are and, and who's out there listening, but pretty sure my parents are listening, so I can count on that out there. We moved to Tennessee uh, about two years ago. And um, I remember when we moved, it was pretty often that we would have the conversations about people and their expectations about who we were based upon where we had moved from. And when I tried to convince people that California has rednecks and that I was a California redneck, people from Tennessee that seriously were like, what? Like they just had no concept to it. I heard that song, Rednecker Than You. Have you heard that song? That song is like my soul song, Rednecker Than You. I feel like, oh my gosh, because I could get in all these conversations with people that would want to kind of out-redneck me, and um, they couldn't, because I really was a, uh, a crazy little redneck kid growing up in the Redwoods. See, Redwoods, redneck, that goes together. Um, and we just, we grew up out chasing animals and and playing in the dirt, and, and it was our life. We were just those kind of kids. So when we get into these kind of conversations, I'm always like surprising people with kind of the way that I grew up. Um, an example of this, if you've seen those videos of, of people pulling teeth creatively, recently there was one with a guy on a tractor. Anybody see that? Pulling his kid's tooth from a tractor. Well, that the whole idea of uh, kind of the way my family was raised, that that my grandpa thought it was a great idea to put a 100-pound test fishing line around my baby tooth, my stubborn front baby tooth, which after I tell this story from now on, every time you interact with me, you're always going to be looking because end of the story, I have a dead tooth. And you'll see it from now on when we talk. You'll always notice, oh yeah, there's that, that's that tooth. It's always going to be distracting for you now that I'm telling you this story. So the end of the story is you'll know where I'm going with this. My grandpa thought it would be a good idea. Tie a 100-pound test around my tooth. I was 
how old are you when you're losing teeth? Six, seven, eight? I maybe weighed at the most 70 pounds. So if you understand how fishing line works, I weighed 70 pounds. This was 100-pound test line. He put it around my tooth and then tied it around the door handle on a solid core door, a big solid core door in our home. My mom is standing there with my grandpa saying to him, Dad, I'm not so sure this is... And he's like, I got it. I got it. We know what we're doing. We got this. And he says to me, famous words, Darren, hands behind your back. My hands go behind my back. I'm about six feet from this door. He says, okay, here we go. We're going to pull this tooth, get it out of the way. On the count of three, I'm going to shut this door. Tooth gone. One, two, sure enough, he throws the door on two. And I zip down the hallway at full speed, face first into the door. Bam! And I stand back, and I look at my grandpa, and he says, Get back here. We're doing it again. And my mom says, Dad, no, no. And she tries to jump in there. He says, we got this. Here we go. One, two. He slams the door. I zip down the hall, face first into the door. Bam. My mom jumps up. She's like yelling at him. He's yelling. We were a loud family. He's yelling. He's like, I got this. We're going to do it. He zips three times. He zips me down the hallway, and I go face first into the door. Tooth does not come out. I am completely shaken up now, standing there. My mom is yelling at my grandpa, my grandpa. And it's just this chaotic experience. But she stands up to him and says, no, we're done. We're done. She takes me to the, to the dentist. And the dentist looks at my teeth, takes x-rays, and says, who is the idiot that thought this was a good idea? He says, your baby teeth go down into the, your jaw. They said, for whatever reason, you have really long roots on your baby teeth. If, we would have, if this tooth would have come out, it would have pulled out at least the two teeth on either side of it, and maybe your lip. My mom went home to my grandpa, and she just read in the riot act. But we actually didn't do that again after this experience, fortunately, in our family. I was the last one that had to endure this. But, you know, you're wondering maybe how in the world am I going to tie that into this morning? But isn't this story pretty good for the way 2020 has gone so far? I don't know about you, but it feels like every time I think we're done, something else zips me down the hallway and slams my face against the door. And I'm just, I need some help. I, navigating this year, I'm, I'm done I, my resources are, are used up, uh, and I need some help. And I got to tell you, I'm excited to preach this passage to you this morning because God used this passage to chew me up on the inside this week. He has been just working me over. And this, this passage, I, I hope that you're going to receive the help from it that I received this week. So I'd like to invite you just to stand with me out of respect for God's word. We're going to read this passage together. Just to asking God to speak to us this morning, even as we read it. Let's read together. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? 
And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Dear Jesus, would you speak? Would you speak through your word? Would you clean me out and flow through me this morning and speak to us? We need you. We need you right now. Please speak to us and meet us in this time in your word, in your name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Verse 15 starts off with these three words, for this reason. For what reason? What reason is he referring to there? He's referring to what Keith brought out last week, if you didn't get to hear this, part one of this message, Keith preached it last week, the beginning of chapter one. And in that, he brought out this, this picture, this image of the fact that we are meant to be living monuments of God's grace for his glory. We're called to be living monuments of his grace. If you didn't hear last week's message, go find it, go listen to it. Mine's part two. You gotta hear part one. It was awesome. God calling us right now in the middle of this craziness that we would be monuments of God's grace. And what I want to do, I'm just going to jump on Keith's coattails and I'm going to kind of flesh out what that looks like. The second half of chapter one helps us understand what does it mean for us to be living monuments to God's grace. Next he says, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Wow, can you imagine if that got to be a, you, if you were part of that church in Ephesus, if this was you that Paul was writing about, and what Paul had heard about you was your faith and your love toward all the saints, wouldn't that be cool? Part of the church of Ephesus, if this was your, if you're like, this is, this is what Paul highlights about them. This is what he'd heard about them. When people were talking behind their back, this is what Paul heard when people were talking about the church in Ephesus. And I don't know about you right now, but if people hear about me right now, man, I would love to think it was my faith and love that they would hear about. But I got to say right now, I think they would also hear a lot about my angst. I'm filled with a lot of angst right now. By what, what do I mean by angst? Well, for me, the mixture is anger, fear, and worry. I just got to be honest with you. This is bubbling inside of me all the time. If you know the Enneagram at all, I am an eight. So eights will challenge. And my response is to fight. And so inside, I'm, I'm got a, I've got a real mixture right now in this year so far of anger, fear, and worry. If Paul was writing this about New River and I got included in the list, he might say, and Darren's angst. Because I, I got a lot of it. 
I don't think I'm alone. Your mixture might be different than mine, but I'm guessing and talking with most people that you fall somewhere in this mix as well. There's a lot going on right now that creates angst for us. What Paul highlights here is their faith and their love. I got, I got angst going on. I'm not enjoying getting my face slammed against the door over and over, tornado, COVID, riots, craziness, all of this stuff. It just feels like, come on. This passage speaks to my angst, and I hope it speaks to your angst this morning. What Paul heard about them was faith and love. Maybe you'll hear more about that in us as well. Verse 16 and 18, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Oh, what a prayer. My angst is so high inside of me, I have to confess, I don't know how to pray all the time right now. I don't know what I'm praying for. This is so crazy. What's going on behind the curtain? I just want to pull it back and get some glimpse, and I don't get to pull back the curtain. So sometimes I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray. This is a great prayer for right now. I need to pray this for myself every day. Part of what affected me this week as I was meditating on this passage was I was praying, God, give me wisdom. Give me a spirit of revelation and may the eyes of my heart be enlightened. What do these, what do these words mean? A spirit of wisdom. That word, part of the root word of that word wisdom is understanding good versus evil. I need that right now. The news is a mess. It's a mess I can't even tell where the good and evil is. I don't, it's, such a, it's so crazy. I need God's wisdom. I need to understand good versus evil. And revelation, that next part, it's revealing truth, uncovering what is really going on. I can't decipher that on my own right now. I need this from Jesus. And the end, he says, that the, heart, the eyes of my heart would be opened and all of this is rooted in our knowledge of Jesus. It's not in the circumstances. It's not in the news. It's not in the politics. It's in Jesus, this wisdom, understanding right and wrong. It's revelation, revealing the truth, and that the eyes of our hearts would be opened. I need this. You need this. We need this together. Our leaders need us to be praying this over them. Keith needs you to be praying that God would give him wisdom, that God would give him a spirit of revelation, and that the eyes of his heart would be enlightened. Our president needs this. Our governor needs this. The leaders in states that you may agree or disagree with, our leaders need us to be praying this for them. We all need this right now. I have been soaking in this, thinking about this, praying with this, and, and, and this next passage here, all of this, this wisdom and this revelation, the opening of our eyes, it all leads to this next section. 
I cut, cut off right in the middle of verse 18 because it all guides up to what's coming next. And I'm not sure I've ever been hip. I think my parents, my, my, my kids actually would back me up on this. I'm not a very hip person. I know I've never been hipster. Hipster is something I've never grasped. I mean, this body does not work well with skinny jeans. I mean, come on. This is as skinny as they get. So being hip and understanding what makes someone hip or, and specifically what makes someone hipster, I've never understood it. In fact, this, this last, last week or a week before last, we were in Savannah and I was in a, um, a store and I walked in and I saw all the jeans in this store. True story. I walked in, all the jeans in the store had some word like slim or slender attached to them. And I stood there and I honestly, the girl comes up to me and I was like, hey, do you have a chunky section? <laughs> I said, where are, the, where are the chunky jeans? And she's like, like, she didn't think it was funny, like not at all. No laughter, no smile. She just kind of tilted her head and gave me this perplexed look. I'm not sure I'm ever going back in that store. I'm, I'm a, little, a little mortified by the whole thing. I, I was hoping she might have a chunky jeans section. It just it wasn't in there. I've, I've never understood what it means to be hip. But this next little passage, here's the outline for you. H-I-P. Get that into your head. I'm going to help you be as hip as you should ever be. This is it right here. H-I-P. Hope, inheritance, and power. Here's the antidote for my angst. As God gives me a spirit of wisdom and revelation and he opens the eyes of my heart, this is what he wants me to see. That he has an antidote for my angst. For your angst. Here it is, as hip as we should ever be, 18, the second half of verse 18, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, that I would know the hope that he has called me to. What is hope? Hope is the desire for something good with the expectation of obtaining it. The desire for something good with the expectation of obtaining it. Hope is a little rough right now. So many people, so many stories of things that they were hoping were going to have happened in the last couple of months. Hoping are going to happen in the next couple of months. And people are sharing story after story. I know this in your conversations with people, you're hearing this. The circumstances cannot be where we find our hope because they're a mess. Hope is a little rough right now. The expectation of something with the, with the, the uh, hope, something good with the expectation of obtaining it. My daughter just got engaged. Last week, McKenna got engaged to this amazing guy. She lives in Australia. She moved to Australia and met this guy, has fallen in love with him, and he is awesome. We love him. We're so excited that they're getting married. Our son is married, and now with McKenna getting married, we now are, we know who our six are. Julie and I, Sawyer and Alyssa, and now McKenna is marrying Caleb, and we know who our six are. It's really fun to think about the future and think about us all being together someday. We're really excited. But I got to tell you, there's a lot of things I hoped for when my daughter got engaged. There's a lot of things I've dreamt about. 
And I, I don't know right now. I don't know where they're going to get married. I don't know when they're going to get married. I don't know if we're going to get to be a part of any of the process of them actually getting married. They're having parties that we don't get to go to. We got uh, brought in via uh, a hidden camera. We did get to see the actual engagement. But I got to tell you, there's a lot of things I hoped for when my daughter got engaged and was starting to plan her wedding. I was hoping it was going to be really different than this. This last week, Julie and I started premarital counseling with a couple, and I fell, to, I fell apart in just trying to tell them how redemptive it was to be with this couple as they're planning to get married when I can't be with my daughter. Hope is rough right now. If we attach our hope to our circumstances, that's like nailing jello to a wall. It's really hard. It's going to disappoint you. Our hope has to be in something else. We have been called by God, and He has a plan. And you and I are part of that plan right now, not when things clear up or when things get better or when they find a cure or whatever we're hoping for out there in the distance. God has a plan for you right now. He's doing something right now in the middle of this chaos. He's doing something in me right now. We have a purpose. Matthew Henry wrote this quote, and I thought it was so good. There is a hope in this calling for those who deal with God, deal upon trust. For those who deal with God, deal upon trust. Can I trust him? Is God good? This is a question you've got to be able to answer for yourself. I have to answer this for myself. In the middle of the crazy chaos that we're living in right now, with all of my angst, is God good? Can he be trusted. Because if we can answer those two questions, then we can have hope right now. It's anchored in who Jesus is. It's anchored in his character. When I look at my life and I look at the history of my life, God has been faithful to me. He's been good to me. He's provided for me. When I look at the story of Scripture and I get all these extra years added onto the story of God, I look at the Bible and I'm reminded God has been faithful to his people. He has been good. And out of his good character, he has acted faithfully. And I can trust him. I can't trust the circumstances. I don't control them. Unfortunately, I don't control God either because his character is above all this chaos. And in him, I can have hope and you can have hope. First antidote for, for our angst is hope. The next one is inheritance. Continuing on in, in verse 18, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Ultimately, we know our inheritance is heaven. Ultimately, we know the politics of this earth are not our politics. Ultimately, we know we've got a place and we know heaven is amazing and we can't get our minds around how great heaven is gonna be, but we know it's gonna be awesome. But here's the thing, the inheritance 
matters right now too. We're beginning to experience the inheritance right now as monuments to the glory and grace of God at work in us. This is part of what it means right now to experience our inheritance. It's not just about someday we're going to get to leave this place. It's that God's grace is at work in us now. That the God of the universe reached out to me, this angsty little hopeless creature right now. And he offers me himself. I'm getting to experience my inheritance long before I arrive where I'll experience it fully. I'm experiencing God's grace now, today, for his glory. Matthew Henry, again, wrote a great quote here that said, besides the heavenly inheritance prepared for the saints, there is a present inheritance in the saints. For grace is glory begun, and holiness is happiness in the bud. Isn't that beautiful? Grace is glory right now. God's glory, the inheritance of all that we're going to experience when we're in God's glory in heaven, we're getting a taste of it right now because of his grace being poured out on us right now. Grace is glory begun and holiness is happiness in the bud. As we follow Jesus and his plan for our lives, we're experiencing his transforming power, making us more like him, making us more holy. I love that definition. You never hear people talk about holiness and happiness together in the same sentence. Usually holiness is, is austere, right? I love what he brings out here. Holiness is happiness in the bud. Joy, the joy that comes from God transforming us and making us more holy right now. This is part of the inheritance that we have we had a friend ask us this last week. She said, in the middle of the crazy things going on in the world, where are the Christians? Where is the Christian voice responding to these things? Well, I think we're called no matter what we post or say anywhere. Part of our response is to be living monuments to God's grace for his glory right now. Right now. In Franklin, right here on the streets where we live and the people that we interact with. That you and I would be a bridge over all of this craziness because of who Jesus is and because he's taking up more and more of our lives and transforming us to be more like him. We're meant to be living monuments of grace right now. Jump to verse 19 and 20. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. H-I-P, power. Power, the immeasurable greatness. It's almost as if Paul's really struggling here to find enough superlatives to cover how great the power of God is, how, how amazing it is. He uses that word immeasurable greatness, and then he just keeps going. 
He just keeps ratcheting it up. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward those of us to believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. We're talking about resurrection power. What God did in raising Jesus from the dead is what is offered to me to deal with my angst right now. Whoa. Whoa. God's power, his immeasurably great power that rose Jesus from the dead, the fulcrum point of all of history. This is it. The resurrection of Jesus was the fulcrum point of all of history. It's when history shifted. God brought Jesus back to life. And this is the power that's available to you and me in the middle of this chaos that we're living in right now. I apologize if I've shown this video clip before, but this video clip from the, the uh, series, the Narnia series, really speaks to me about this. And I just wanted to share it with you. Enjoy this one. <laughs> was on her I'm going to do it to you twice now what was on her hip Using, you get figuring out how to use it pretty clever huh? I'm getting, I'm getting hip in there twice what was on Lucy's hip her dagger is that what the power was Lucy pulls her little dagger and stands there where's the power the power is the fact that Aslan had her back oh God is the source of your power and my power right now Aslan has our back, even though this world is crazy and chaotic. It's God who has the power. It just keeps getting better as he continues to get towards the end here of the chapter. Verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. It's all rooted in Jesus. The resurrected Christ is the source of my power, is the source of your power. Verses 22 and 23 wrap us out here. 
And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. How do we bring this power into reality? Through the church. Jesus is our head. We're meant to be a living expression of all of this life, this hope, this inheritance, this power flowing from Jesus into his church. We're meant to be the living monument of his grace that is changing the chaos in our world around us right now. Who knew? Who knew that being hip was the answer to our angst? I didn't. Together as the body with hope, our inheritance and all of his power, we right now are meant to be living monuments of his grace. And to do it, we've got to remember that our hope is not in the dagger. We need him.